0: Through forty, So we continue in our exposition of the book of Matthew and our Lord now introduces us to another parable and our subject this morning is the parable of the tares. Now it certainly could be titled the parable of the tares and the wheat. Uh, But we certainly are going to put some emphasis today on the meaning of the tear, which I think is crucial uh, to understanding uh, this particular parable. So look with me, if you would, at Matthew 13, verse 24. The Bible says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Matthew 13, these verses, these parables introduce us to another deep but a very important thought regarding our lord as he taught these parables another parable that's built around agriculture another parable that's built around farming metaphors but with this particular parable and this particular parable begins this cycle he introduces an element that we haven't seen quite as much but we see it repeated over and over again and that is how he begins to compare and remind them about the reality of the kingdom of heaven. These parables begin to now speak often about the kingdom of heaven is like. So he begins to now focus on what the kingdom of heaven is compared to. And so that is crucial to understand many of what the parables are going to be. Now certainly he has mentioned this before, all the way back in Matthew 4, 17, Jesus did preach about the kingdom when he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this kingdom of heaven is an important topic in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's also an important topic here in these parables. Now, folks, it is vitally important that we keep the kingdom of heaven before us as the main subject, because if we don't keep the kingdom of heaven as the main subject, we are going to veer off into a wrong direction. Uh, We're going to start finding, when he starts speaking about things of value and things that are precious, we're going to miss the fact that he's talking about the value and the preciousness of the kingdom of heaven, not the preciousness necessarily of man. And this is where the parables often take a wrong turn, uh, where man begins to compare himself to things like the pearl in the field, and that you were the pearl, and that's why God came looking for you. The pearl is not about you. The pearl is about the kingdom of heaven. And that changes the entire purpose of the parable when we realize we're not the pearl of great price. The kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of heaven is that which the riches that he talks about that are so vitally important. As we keep the kingdom of heaven ever before us, it will prevent us from putting, again, the emphasis on man. And yet, and instead, we will put the emphasis where it's intended, which is upon our Lord. So this parable begins by those words. Another parable he A parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Again, as the kingdom of heaven becomes the main focus in this parable, we remind ourselves that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, throughout the Gospels, uh, we take those as a synonymous thought. Now, Matthew, of course, being a Jew himself, and this is part of uh, Jewish uh, history we often don't think about, Is that they were very careful even in Matthew's day to not use the name of God or to be very careful in how they spoke of the things of God so many times you see uh, that Matthew refers to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God he primarily uses the kingdom of heaven to refer to that instead of using the name God But why is this term so important? When we think about the kingdom of heaven, what are we talking about? Well, you're talking about the kingdom or that which God is sovereign over. We've been learning on Wednesday nights, what is God sovereign over? He is sovereign over all things. The kingdom of heaven, he he has sovereignty not only over heaven, he has sovereignty. He is the center of everything. And that is really at the heart of what Jesus is talking about here. He's announcing not only the sovereignty of God, but also the reality that when Jesus came to this earth, and as we've, we've spoken about today, when Jesus came to this earth robed in human flesh, never ceasing to be God, he was announcing the coming of the kingdom of this heavenly kingdom into this world. Now again, it was Jesus announcing the presence of the kingdom. It's very appropriate for Jesus to use the terminology so that when we think about Jesus' arrival into this world, we can consider it that the kingdom of heaven has arrived. His sovereign kingdom is indeed here. So this parable with those things in mind leads us to consider what was this parable really about? Well, you'll notice here that as the parable goes on, we're not introduced to a brand new subject, if you will, but rather a continuation of the idea of the field. Now we've already learned that the man who sowed good field, the man who sowed, the sower is Christ himself. And so the good seed, Christ always sows good seed. Uh, It is not Christ sowing bad seed. But this gives us the clear and clear picture of what the gospel really is. As Christ speaks of the kingdom of heaven, he is continuing to make the truth to those who are his so very clear. Now, if we understand, if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, we can clearly see that this this parable is being given, not so that we would emphasize farming or agriculture, but that we would see the beauty of Christ being compared to these things and how his kingdom, how the kingdom of heaven, leads us to very clear conclusions. Now, as Christ comes and his method of making this truth so clear That we can say today that really the only people who are not going to see or don't want to hear are those who willfully say, I don't want to see, I don't want to hear. I just simply don't want to accept the things in which are being said to me. But we already know, those of us that are in the Lord, we know that the man who sowed is Christ. Uh, This is not a commandment for us to go out and sow seed. This is specifically about the chief sower, Christ himself, who always sows good seed. So what did we know that Jesus did? When the kingdom of heaven came, Christ sowed good seed in the kingdom. It was not Christ who sowed bad seed. It was not Christ who sent seed that was flawed. He sowed good. But the parable announces that along with the good seed that he sowed, somebody sowed bad seed. And the interesting thing is they sowed seed in the same field. So that in one field, there was good seed that was producing good crop. And there was bad seed in the same field that was producing that which is bad. The good was the wheat. The bad is the tares. As I mentioned at our 10 o'clock. Wheat does not become a tear, and a tear does not become wheat. Wheat is wheat. Tear or a weed is a weed. A weed does not turn into wheat. If you put uh, you have a weed in your garden, you can look at that, you can water that, you can fertilize that, it is not going to turn into anything other than what it is. It's a weed. The parable is not about finding out who the tares are and turning them into weeds. These tares are intentionally sowed and Jesus himself says they are sowed by an enemy. They were never intended to be good seed. They're a bad seed that produces a weed. That weed has been sown within the same kingdom. Now we'll talk a little bit about what that kingdom refers to. But he sowed the seed in his chosen ground. Notice the Bible says that it was seed was sown in his field. The sower sowed seed in his field. Now, it's all his field. Whether we're talking about the entirety of the earth or we're talking about the church, it is his field. He sowed the good seed. It was his choice of ground. So he sowed that which is good. But then notice what it says in verse 25. But while, he, while men slept, his enemy, whose enemy? The enemy of the sower. The enemy of the chief sower, who is whom? Is Christ. The enemy slips in while the men are asleep. And what did the enemy sow? Tears. It doesn't say they tore up the wheat. They sowed tares among the wheat. They intermixed it. They dispersed it inside of where the wheat was and went his way. So the enemy comes into his field, the sower's field, which is Christ's field, and sows seed, bad seed, intersperses it with the wheat while the men slept. Now, there's a, there's a lot of lessons that are in this. There's a lot of directions we could go with this. But what I want us to keep in mind is I want you to keep in mind what the intent of the sower, the enemy of the tares, was. It was to disrupt, and if possible, to destroy the field. The sower had bad intentions. The sower was not putting the wheat there to help out the field, to help out the kingdom. The the enemy was sowing that tear in order to try to do damage to the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Now, we all know or should know who the enemy is. The enemy is Satan himself. The enemy is the demonic angels. It is the, the reality of the demonic presence that is in this world. Now, you can say, I don't believe in all that. I don't believe in spiritual warfare. Then you don't believe the Bible. Because spiritual warfare is very, very real. And spiritual warfare, if we could look into the heavenlies and actually see the warfare that's going on for the souls of men, we would be astounded at what's happening where we can't see. It's not not a myth. It's not fairy tale. There is a very real enemy. Now I do want you to know as Christians today that that enemy, Satan, was defeated at the cross. And we need to start living like that. We need to start living that Satan was destroyed. Now, is he going to try to disrupt? Absolutely. Is he going to try to oppose the Gospel? Absolutely. Will he ultimately get the victory? No. Will anything hinder God's plan? And will anything destroy God's field? Will will Satan be able to destroy the wheat? No, he will not. But we say, wait a minute... Shouldn't we do something about the tares? Well, that's exactly what the servants ask. They want to know, because when, the, when this, the tares are being sown, notice what happens here. The enemy came, and we again know who the enemy is, and notice that as the seed of the tare is sown, the result is, verse 26, when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, Then appeared the tares also. Now, here's an interesting little tidbit about historical times. I don't know if this is true today, but even in Jesus' day, those who wanted to get back at another farmer or wanted to take vengeance on another, a real life example, would go into another person's field and try to plant bad seed. As a matter of fact, they would do many things that would try to choke out the good crop as a way of getting vengeance on that farmer that they had a problem with. And as they planted that, they would do everything they could. The interesting thing is about these wheat, the wheat and the tares, is the tares that were planted, even when they sprung up, they looked exactly like wheat. You could not look at them and tell the difference. They look the same. So the vengeful farmer that would go into the field of another person and put that there is putting it there intentionally with the intent of deception and with the intent of destruction. I found it interesting that even in the very beginning when this plant comes up in verse 26 when it mentions all of these plants looked exactly the same so that even a quote-unquote plant expert could not look at them and say, that one's wheat and that one's a tear. That's pretty clever, isn't it? It's pretty clever that within the wheat field, there would actually be tares. The naked eye couldn't tell the difference. There was presence of tares, weeds, within the wheat. But it didn't happen until the plants came up. That's a key to understanding. The good seed continues to grow. Evil seed also continued to grow. And both seeds were hidden for a while. But when one sprung up, the other one also sprung up. So they sprung up, in a sense, together. Now, you might have a note in your Bible that this weed was most likely called Darnel, D-A-R-N-E-L. A A lot of study Bibles have that word in it. And it is a real weed that looks so much like wheat, it's nearly impossible to tell the difference. Now, the greatest act of deception, I've said this millions of times, is not obvious wrong, but that which is closest to the truth. Okay? Okay. The devil does not deceive you with an obvious contradictory statement, right? It's deception with that which mimics the truth. The devil is not going to alert you to his deception. He's not going to announce to you, here I am to deceive you. That's what's happening in the kingdom as well. It's a frightening thought to think that in the kingdom, not just the kingdom of heaven, which envelops the entire world, but even in the church, and I will say this, and it's a frightening statement, that I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that every church is a mixture of wheat and tares. you say, wait a minute. Not in a church this size. How do you know? See... The lesson is, is the wheat and the tares are so identical, you can't tell by the naked eye. You can't just look at somebody and say, oh, you must be wheat. Now, do you think Satan isn't, do you think Satan has stopped working? No, now he's defeated. And ultimately, he's not going to turn wheat into a tare. Another reason why you can't lose your salvation. You can't become what you're not. But the reality is, is the deception is so good that it's hard to tell the difference. Now, the other thing about this darnel, if you read about this, and what was fascinating to me, is it wasn't just a plant that came up and just kind of sat there. It actually poisoned the ground. It actually put out a chemical that actually attempted And in many cases, destroyed the entire field so that the field could never be planted again. That's quite a vengeance, isn't it? If you're mad at another farmer, that's what you do. You plant that darnel in their field and there's no way their field's going to be destroyed. And for a farmer, you've destroyed their entire livelihood. So the obvious answer would be then when the servants come to Jesus and they say, do you want us to go tear those up? He says, no. He says, if you tear those up, you're going to destroy the wheat that's there. See, that's contrary to what happens with us. When I'm walking around my house and I see a weed, you know what I do? I pull it up every single time. I can't stand them. It, it's, it's, I, am, I am almost OCD about weeds. I see it and I pull it. Because I know if I leave it there, there's going to be two the next day. I pull it. I said, the best thing to do is get that out of the field now. And that's what our, that's what our humanity says. Go get them out of the field now. Now remember, these parables, these, these disciples knew what this agriculture was about. Now they didn't fully understand all of these, the meanings, because he was having to explain them. But again, I want you to think about, the good seed is still coming up. But the bad seed was planted as well. Now, in a scenario like that, the enemy that planted vengefully into another farmer's field, what does he get for that? He doesn't receive any better crop. He doesn't receive anything from it. All he receives from it is that he injured the person that he hated. Satan is not getting a single thing by planting tares within the wheat. His entire intent is to try to damage. Are you hearing me? He's trying to damage that which is planted. He doesn't receive anything out of it, he's not taking any of the wheat. That's why Jesus is so clear here in a moment when he tells the servants what he wants them to do and he gives the example and said, no, no, I want you to hold on until the time of harvest and then we'll deal with it. And of course, he's talking about a spiritual harvest. He's not just talking about an agricultural harvest in the fall. So the servants, verse 27, of the householder came and said unto him, now notice this, this is, this is fascinating to me. Sir... Didst not thou sow good seed in the field? Now their first question is interesting. Well, didn't you sow good seed as if there was some kind of an accusation that if you sowed good seed, why is there bad seed there? Why does it have tares? If you're so good, then why are there tares? They see the growth because it's now sprung up. But what they didn't see is they didn't see when the bad seed was actually sown in the ground. That is what we don't see. We don't see where Satan has sown. We don't see the evil intent. Just like the vengeful farmer that planted in that field, if he did it at the cover of night and the servants were asleep, they didn't see it. We don't know when he snuck in and did it. All we know is that the result came up. And the result was somebody planted tares in the wheat. What a question. Why are there tares? It would be like us asking the Lord today, why are there tares within a local congregation like this one? Why are there tares within the kingdom of heaven? Why can't I go anywhere in the world and find an entire congregation of wheat or an entire country of wheat? Why are there tares everywhere I go? Because right now, the harvest hasn't come yet. But there's coming a day when harvest time comes, the Lord is going to separate the wheat from the tares. And scripturally, it says there are going to be reapers that are the angels that are going to know exactly who the tares are and know exactly what the wheat is. And no wheat's going to be pulled up by accident and included with the tares. Because then I would suggest that you must have lost your salvation along the way. The Lord knows those that are His. He's not wandering. If there's somebody here today who, listen, again, I'm not looking at, you know how difficult this is, right? I'm not looking at anybody saying, there's a tear, there's a tear. I'm just telling you, if there's a tear in this building today, the Lord Jesus Christ knows it. Even if nobody around us does. And there's no way a tear is going to take wheat out of His kingdom. There's no way you're going to remove them from his kingdom. Now, you may try to do damage. You may try to poison the field. But you're not going to destroy the kingdom. There have been entire churches overrun with probably tares. There have been entire churches who thought it was a congregation of wheat, only to find out it was nothing but tares that the evil one had sown. And they don't even know when he sowed the seed, but it came up. And it may have been a church that was prospering. It may have been a church that was thriving. They may have seen people coming by thousands, and they may have seen membership rolls go up, only to look up and say, wait a minute, these aren't good seeds that have been sown. These are all tares. Now listen, to think that the enemy is not at work is to have your head in the spiritual sand. Just because he's defeated doesn't mean he's not opposing. Remember, there's a big difference, like we learned this morning, in being an opposer and actually a destroyer. So what, did they, what were the servants in the parable expecting? Well, if it's, if it's a field that was planted by the householder and he planted good seed, then what should my expectation be? That there should only be good seed in that field. That's kind of what our expectation is. If these are the things of God, then this should be a congregation here of nothing but good seed. Because we stand on Christ, we sing about Christ, we preach about Christ, we preach the gospel every time we're together, then this should be nothing but good seeds. The problem is, is that the enemy sows tares among the wheat and we don't know when he sowed them. The question is left for Jesus to answer. Notice how clear he is. He said unto them, an enemy hath done this. He clearly says, this is not my seed. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't doesn't God, again, you'll you'll grant me the liberty to say this, doesn't God want to save everybody? Somebody planted the bad seed. Somebody planted the good seed. The good seed is going to be harvested and put into his barn. The bad seed is going to be sent off to everlasting destruction. That's not my words. That's the Lord's words. But the master answers the question. He knew who did it. Now, it's interesting that the master knew, but the servants who were asleep had no idea. He identifies right away. I know who's responsible for it. It would be like the vengeful farmer in my illustration saying, oh, I know who it was. It was that farmer three fields down that we've had an argument with. He did it. Jesus wasn't guessing as the householder. He was saying, I know who did it. It was the enemy. You see, every time we go before the Lord and we tell the Lord, Lord, do you see what's happening in this world? Do you see What's happening in my life? Do you see? And the answer to all those questions is yes, of course I see it. And I see every single tear everywhere in this kingdom, whether it's the church or whether it's this world, I see them all. Nobody is getting into heaven that's a tear. Tear is a bad seed. The servants were eager, of course, to undo the wrong. Have you ever realized how quick we are to volunteer to undo the wrong? I'll fix it. I'll fix it. Do you know how many times we've been mistaken in judgment where we thought we were taking the step of removing a wrong only to remove someone or something that was right? Because our judgment tells us one thing. Because we're not omniscient. We don't know all things. We make a judgment call based on what we see, what we hear. And we determine somebody is this and somebody is that. Only God knows. Now, we can see some obvious things. If somebody comes into the church and is obviously propagating a false doctrine and they're telling other people about it, they're making themselves very obvious. It's happened here in the seven, almost eight years I've been here. It's happened more times than you want to know. And thankfully, in many cases, and I praise God for this, God's took care of it. I didn't say anything. I gave it over to God. I said, God, you, you, you got to take care of this. And he took care of it. There's been other cases where we had to do something about it. Because it was obvious. This is not obvious. This is truly looking out into people and maybe even looking into a pulpit. Please don't miss that. Don't think for a moment that people who stand before you and proclaim the Word of God can't be a tear. Don't think for a moment, oh, that's the preacher, that's the pastor. Don't do not. Do not elevate any man. And do not elevate me in any way, shape, or form. We only elevate and lift up God, lift up Christ. Man, at his very best is a sinner. At his very best, he's a sinner. But God knows. God sees every tear. He sees all the wheat. The servants want to go out. They want to remove the false wheat and let the true wheat grow. Here's a question. How would they know which ones to pull? Did they have some inside knowledge nobody else had? That's why he's going to tell them in a moment, number one, you can't go out there and do it because if you do, you're going to pull up the good with the bad because you can't tell the difference. It's amazing how spiritually arrogant we are. It's amazing how much we think we know and how much we can correct God's thinking and say, I know what's going on here. Listen, I've had had so many situations in the years I've been a pastor that I, I'll just be honest, I misjudged them because I based it upon only outward appearance that looked a certain way without real deep knowledge of what was going on. We're all prone to that. But the servants wanted to go and pull all the the false wheat out. They wanted to pull the tares out because they thought by pulling the tares out, that would let the true wheat grow better. No, that's not what what Jesus' response is. That's not what the householder's response is. No, he does the exact opposite of what we would do. Instead of removing that tear, what does he say? Verse 29, he says, While ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. The tares were so plentiful in the field, they had become so intermixed with the corn, and it was so much in appearance that it would not be possible. It had, it had woven its way through that if you pulled up one of the tares, you would pull the roots up of a stalk of wheat also. In other words, it was so woven in you couldn't pull one. Think about how many times they would have misjudged and pulled and pulled the good wheat out. But he doesn't just say, don't do it and let it be forever. Look what he says in verse 30. Let both grow together. And notice there's a specific time. Until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, notice who's giving the command. I will say to the reapers, I want, you're going to, I want you to see this in a moment because when he gives the explanation of this, he actually tells the disciples who the reapers are. Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. In other words, he says, let the two seeds continue to remain together for a time. We'll separate them later. I'll give the command to the reapers and when I tell the reapers, they'll know exactly where to pull. They'll pull the tares and they'll burn them. They'll put them in bundles and they'll burn them. And the wheat, what a, what a beautiful picture. But gather the wheat into my barn. Do you see the difference between destruction and the glory of God here? Here, the wheat gathered into a barn those are the tares bundled together not a single tear is going to get in to the barn and not a single wheat is going to get into the bundle take comfort in that today there's not going to be a mistake in the last day that you have to live your life worried and concerned am i really going to make it if you are in Christ Jesus, if you have trusted in him alone for your salvation and you've repented of your sins, dear friend, you are already the wheat, you cannot become a tear. And our churches have got to stop teaching this false doctrine of losing salvation that I'm wavering back and forth between wheat and a tear, wheat and a tear. You're either in Christ or you're not. You're not moving between the two. Now again, he lets them grow. And it is true, the evil will try to damage the good. But it would be better, I want you to listen to this, it would be better to do a little bit of damage now than to cast out the good with the bad. In other words, would it be better to make a mistake and pull the wheat pull the wheat, and throw it into the bundle later? Or would it be better to let the enemy have its time. The devil only has a season. And again, I'm not talking in eschatological terms, I'm just talking the devil, regardless of what you believe, he only has a season. And that season compared to eternity is absolutely nothing. The reapers will be employed for a specific work, they'll do the work right, they'll do it correctly. The wheat will all be gathered into the Lord's own barn. There will be a perfect separation. Notice it's the Lord that will say, I will say to the reapers. He's not going to say to the pastors and the elders of that church on Petrie Road, now you determine and pull them. No, he's going to say, I'm going to tell you who to pull. I'm not going to give you the instruction to use your judgment. I'm going to pull them. If we truly understood our own finite limitations spiritually, our Lord declares that the doom of the terror, the false professors, is a terrible ending. Bind them in bundles, put them all together, burn them. There is no clearer expression of destruction. Than to bundle and throw them in the fire. But there's also no more glorious statement than what Jesus says gather the wheat into my barn. All gathered, every one of them recognized as one of God's. See, we're longing for that right now, folks. There's this movement where Christians are trying to make, they're trying to Christianize society. You're trying to find a place where there's no tear. It doesn't exist on this planet. There's nowhere in the world that everybody there is a Christian. People say it all the time. I want to go work at a place where there's nothing but Christians there. It's impossible. Because the wheat and the tares are already intermixed, whether it's in the kingdom, whether it's in the church. And Jesus himself says, just wait until the harvest comes. And they'll be separated and it'll be a perfect separation. Now, how do we know this is what all this means? Am I just making this up? No. If you'll drop down to verse 36 and we'll go through this because he gives a very clear example of this. He's explained. Now, there's, another, there's two more parables we're gonna, we'll come back to next week. But it's, he, he, he jumps from that, those other two parables, the parable about a grain of mustard seed, But then he jumps down and gives the explanation because the disciples say in verse 36, then Jesus sends the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came unto him saying, declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. Okay, so they come back and they say, Lord, we want to know what this is all about. Explain to us the parable of the tares. And notice how quickly and how efficiently the householder, the Lord Jesus in this case, explains it. Immediately, he says, he answered and said unto them, he that soweth the good seed is whom? The son of man. Notice he says he sowed the good seed. He didn't sow the bad. The sower of the seed is the son of man. Jesus Christ came to this earth on purpose and a purpose to fulfill the plan of Almighty God. To sow the seeds of the kingdom of God. Of heaven, The kingdom of heaven is all grace, all truth. It is where our spiritual life comes from. Then he begins to explain, and this is where some commentators take a different approach on this, but I don't think it changes the intent of what Jesus was saying. He says, the field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Jesus is very clear. The wheat is one, the children of the kingdom, the tares are the children of the wicked one. Now the field is the world is what gives commentators and where good men have have drawn, they've taken sides on this. But the world or the field can include all of those things. It can include the world itself. It can include the church. There's the dispute about, is it referring just to the world in general or is it referring to the church? When you look at what's happening in the parable, we can understand why it's hard to figure out which one is he talking about. But here's what we can't argue about. We can't argue about who the sower is, right? We can't argue that the sower is Christ himself. When we read the field is the world, some commentators say Jesus is only talking about sowing the seed of the kingdom of God, the seed which brings forth the fruit of salvation, even while the devil himself is sowing his seed to disturb the kingdom of God and stunt its growth. Now that's one way we can look at it. The other way, and the rest of this parable, is very similar to the way Jesus describes his kingdom in other terms. Notice with me. The enemy, verse 39, that sowed them, sowed what? The bad, wicked seed. Is whom? The devil. When is the harvest? The end of the world. So if someone asks you, when's the harvest coming? Your answer is, in the end of the world. When they say, when's the end of the world, what do you say? We don't know. You don't put a date on it, because you can't. But you can say this, I know that Christ has sowed the good seed, and I know the enemy has done everything he can to stop that good seed. It's the devil, but wait till harvest comes. And at harvest time, we'll be at the end of the world. The end of the world, what's going to happen? The reapers are the angels. Remember back in the verse, he said, I will call my reapers. The reapers are the angels. The angels minister to God. People often say, what's the purpose of angels? An interesting study for you is to study throughout the Bible the purpose of angels have all sorts of purposes. They're the ministers of God. We have angels that surround the throne of God. We're we're going to learn more about that on Wednesday. But then there are angels that are carrying out the ministry of God of God himself. Now we can get tied up into figuring out how this is all going to happen, and we can speculate, and we can look at all, but here's the promise. Jesus says that at harvest time, at the end of the world, when the time has come, the reapers, the angels, are going to do just that. They're going to separate. Similar teaching, when we talk about he knows his sheep. He knows who his are, This world and the church, I think, has to be included in this. It is a field of intermixed growths, and it has to be this way until the end of time. You are never going to find on this earth, you're not going to find a place where there's nothing but wheat growing. There's always going to be tares among the wheat. Now, maybe maybe we don't see the seed yet, you say, are you saying that you're certain that somebody here today is a terror? I'm not telling you that. What I'm telling you is, is that we don't see when the seed was sown. Do you know seed could have been sown by the enemy that's not sprung up yet? You say, I don't see anybody sitting here. Folks, you're, you're, you're thinking about this too humanly. This is not a human battle. This is a spiritual battle that's going on. This is all going on, and you're not you don't see this. Because we just think, okay, seeds are a person. You no, know, it's the spiritual application here. When was the seed sown? That's what nobody knew. They couldn't recognize it when it came up. The enemy sowed, that's the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. The reapers are the angels. The devil is the sower of evil men, of course. Think about the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He puts Adam and Eve in a perfect environment. The serpent comes along and the serpent gets them to question and deny the authority of God's word with a simple, didn't take much, hath God really said? You know, some professing Christians, that's all it takes to knock them off. Has God really said you can't? Has God really said that if you do this, you'll really. Will you really die? And yet, that's exactly what happened in the garden. And of course, many times in our spiritual pride, we say, had I been Adam or had I been Eve, I wouldn't have done that. You would have done the exact same thing. Like you were doing God a favor. God should have chosen me to be Adam. The results would have been the same. And you would have done the same thing. Husbands, you would have blamed your wife. You said, it's this woman you gave to me. It's the whole reason I did it. And you would have tried everything you could to cover yourself and hide yourself because of the shame and the guilt. And he would, God would have come in the cool of the day and he would have said, where are you, Adam? Not because he didn't know where you were but to indicate you're hiding from me because now you feel something you didn't feel before. You feel guilt, you feel shame. You know what sin does. So the last two verses, verse 40 and 42, is therefore the tares are gathered, burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend. Think about that. All things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. A gathering of all things that offend. Those who work evil, those who work iniquity, which will include every false professor, every pretender, every person who claimed to be what they really were not, including those tares. Now imagine living in a world where wheat and tares are both flourishing. That's exactly what we're living in, folks. The wheat and the tares are all flourishing. The sun even shines on the unjust, the Bible says, does it not? God-hating farmers produce wonderful crops and if we act like the Pharisees do, we can look back and we say, boy, God really shined his face on that farmer because that, look at it, he must be a real follower of Christ. His face even shines in common grace on the, on the atheist farmer. It doesn't mean it's a believer. The angels are simply those who are ministers of God and they are what's been described as the executioners of the wrath of the Lamb. Oh, we don't talk about the wrath of God much in our churches anymore because it doesn't draw a crowd. It makes people nervous. It makes them squirm a little bit. Nobody wants to talk about God's wrath. We only talk about what God's going to do for me today. Listen, the wrath of the Lamb and the wrath of God is a part of the plan. And actually, the removal of all that is evil and all that is wicked and all that is sinful is the ultimate demonstration of the love of Christ. So when you say I go, I don't want to go to a church. I don't want to go to a church. That talks about the love of Christ. If you want to know what the real love of Christ is, you got to talk about the wrath of God. You can't separate the two. You can't. Say, I don't want a God of judgment. Then you don't know the Christ of love. Sin must be judged, and part of that act is to judge that which is contrary to the righteousness of Christ. The kingdom, notice verse 43, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. There's that ending of these parables often. If you have ears to hear, hear it. But think about the promise here. The righteous shall shine forth. The righteous are whom? They are those who are now been declared just, by the righteousness of Christ. Not those who are good in themselves, not those who are holy and, and, and more pious than another, but those who have, been, who have received the righteousness of Christ, what shall they do? They shall shine forth. As the son in the kingdom, I love this, of their father. The intruders are gone, the bad seeds gone. The tear is gone. We will never have to be in glory wandering. I wonder if someone's here who shouldn't be here. The question I wanna ask you today as we finish is very simple. Again, it's not meant to manipulate your emotions in any way, shape or form. But certainly we know that it's possible that the wheat and the tares can be in the same local church. The message of the parable very simply is, is that Jesus knows who belonged to him. You might sit here today and you might say, I praise God that I am one of his. I praise God that I know him as my heavenly, as my heavenly father, as my savior. But have you repented of your sin and trusted in Christ alone for your salvation? Because if you're trusting in anything else, Trust in anything else, your salvation is not of the Lord. Christ is the only way. Listen, I've been coming to church all my life. Folks, we've heard these so many times, we just tend to tune them out. But I'm telling you, there are people who are seated in churches all over this country who are trusting in something else other than Christ. That's why the gospel goes forth from this church every single service because we can never, ever, ever just assume that every single person here is a believer. I trust that the Lord in his mercy and in his grace will open your eyes to the truth if he has not, and that you'll repent and believe the gospel. Let's conclude by singing...